Hello, hello. Welcome to Basically Blind. I'm your host, Avery. This is a podcast where I share my experience living with vision loss in a world made for people who are sighted, as well as discussing different topics around diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. I want to start off with just an update from last week. So last week I talked about how I was fortunate enough to be able to get uh, a COVID-19 vaccine. I got the Moderna vaccine. I'm scheduled for my second one on April 20th. And I had talked about how for me, the side effects were a lot more significant than I thought they would be. Um, I had gotten, I usually record Wednesday night uh, with my podcast and I had gotten the vaccination on a Tuesday. So it was still within the 24 hour period where I was really hurting. And I am happy to say that by the next day, the pain had significantly gone down. The one thing I just was concerned about was I was talking to a number of different people that were saying that they'd gotten vac- the vaccination and just really didn't have as severe a pain as I had, which makes me super nervous about getting the second dose because I have I have seen posted in a lot of different places that apparently the second dose is really the one that can just kind of like knock you on your ass. Um, but I was talking to one of my friends this week, Andrea, shout out to you if you're listening. And she was talking about how like she had the same situation with the extreme soreness in her arm and she had gotten Pfizer actually. And how like myself, she's a side sleeper. So it was really hard to get a good night's sleep those first couple nights, but then she was good. So that made me feel a lot better knowing that I wasn't alone with what I was experiencing. Because as I've talked about on here with having a disability and not necessarily knowing a lot of people that have significant visual impairment like myself, it can feel isolating in that way. And I was getting really bummed out that I had no one to talk to about and commiserate with about the shot and that I was maybe a wuss. I didn't know, but it was good to find out that there are other people out there that are experiencing it the same way I am and who are also taking the precautions to make sure to take a few days off of work or blocking out their schedules for that second shot. So I just wanted people to know that it, it didn't result in me being in excruciating pain for a week, but it was definitely pretty painful for those per, those first 48 hours. And, and then I had like a really sharp increase in feeling good. The, the side effect that seemed to linger the most for me is, um, I got the shot in my left arm and I noticed until maybe Saturday that there was like weakness in my wrist and in like my, my joints and my hand. Um, it almost kind of felt like I had carpal tunnel or something. Um, but that's completely gone away. So that that was what lingered the most as well as a little bit of tenderness at the injection site. So I just wanted to make sure I gave a fair update and I wasn't accidentally scaring someone someone away from potentially wanting to get the vaccine. I know that there is quite a bit of misinformation that's floating around the internet right now. Uh, in 
a lot of people thinking that these weren't properly tested. So we're all just being guinea pigs. And the the truth in the matter is, is that there are, there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people at this point that have been fully vaccinated. And at this time, we haven't seen any significant health disadvantages that have come of it. And, you know, maybe that's down the line, who knows, but this is, this is our shot at actually potentially getting our lives back. So just just keep that in mind. And I just really encourage people to get vaccinated. It's your own choice, but I made the choice for myself and majority of people I know are making the choice to get vaccinated as well. So go ahead and look into that. And as I mentioned last week, if you do have a disability, make sure that you're checking to see because I was able to be vaccinated specifically because I had a disability. That was really the only way I qualified, but I currently qualified. So the title of this episode is Faking It. And I want to uh, just clear the air. It's not going to be about like faking orgasms or anything like that. So any of my family members who are listening to this, you you can listen. It's okay. You're not going to be scarred mentally from it. It's actually inspired from last week's episode where I discussed spoon theory. And I talked about how um, within spoon theory, it's a, it's a easy way of being able to explain how if someone has a chronic illness or a disability, how we have to use energy differently than someone who doesn't. It, it takes us actually more energy to do the same tasks. And so by the end of the week or end of the week, end of the day, you know, we're a lot more exhausted than the average person because we have to exert a lot more just to get through the day. And realistically, everyone does have the same amount of energy, or at least this is how we model it within spoon theory. And I had talked about how there were certain things that I would do that kind of would maybe give me more um, anxiety or put more of a burden on me. Uh, and the reason that I do them is not because it really helps me. It really doesn't serve me. It just, it helps me to assimilate more. It makes everyone else around me a lot more comfortable because I'm, I'm honestly faking that I can see things that I can't. I'm, I'm, I'm playing the part that's written by our society script of like, this is how you should be in a meeting setting. This is how you should be um, when you're walking down the street, things like that. And it really got me thinking about just all the things that I do that it's, it's a little sad, but it's also a little funny. Like all the things that I'll just kind of go along with because it's just, it's easier to, to act like I have better vision than to potentially make people feel uncomfortable. And so I had compiled an entire list of all the different things. And, and and then the, I was also just thinking of the extra steps that I have to take that potentially people don't see. Um, and because they 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 don't see the preparation, they just see the execution 
of it. So, you know, one, one place that I talked about last week that I can start off at is when I'm in an office setting and in a traditional office setting. So, or even when I'm, you know, on a virtual meeting. So I've talked about this before, but with virtual meetings, me having my camera on, it, it does nothing for me. Like that, that's, that's for everyone else. Um, I actually really prefer to have my camera off so then I can get closer to my screen. Um, I've, I've found a workaround where I have an external screen and I mirror what's on my laptop and my external screen's larger. And so I'll have my laptop set up and then like I have the larger screen that I can kind of rely on. But at the same time, if if I'm supposed to be like looking at a document or something like that, it's really not easy for me. Um, also, just, you know, sitting straight on with the computer, staring at it, like it's honestly a little hard for me to make sure that I'm looking at the right spot. I can't look at the screen and tell if my eyes look like I'm staring straight ahead into at the the other people. You know, it doesn't it doesn't probably look like I'm staring to the other person looking at their screen. Um if that makes sense. It was a little jumbled, but you know, I again, it's something that I do just because it's a norm. It's something that I do for other people's benefit, not my all, not my own at all. Um within Within office settings, I will, again, like watch PowerPoints um, or pretend to because I really can't see them. Um, My ideal situation is when there's a meeting and you're allowed to just take it at your desk and join remotely. And then that way I can just follow along with it blown up on my computer. That's, That's what's ideal for me. That's when I can actually get the most out of a presentation. Um, Also, if people are speaking or given presentations, you know, looking directly at them, again, it does nothing for me. It's all for the other person because I might actually be able to take in more of what they're saying if I don't have to concentrate at looking at them and, and trying to kind of really work at trying to look at them and not pass them because it's tricky to focus. Um, but if, if I'm, if I'm not doing that, then they're making the assumption that I'm not paying attention because again, societal norms, if people are looking at you, that means they're paying attention to you. And so I, I do that as well. Some things that maybe people don't always think of when I've lived in, um, when I've lived in buildings that have elevators or when I've worked in buildings where there are elevators, if I have the option, I will take the stairs. And it's really simple. It's because I don't want to have to deal with trying to find the right button to press in the elevator. So, Uh, A lot of the times if I get in and it's a busy elevator because there's a lot of different levels, I can get away with, oh, hey, like, could you hit level four for me? But then it gets a little tricky too because then I have to 
really be paying attention as to like how many floors it goes up and, um, and, and making sure I'm getting off at the right level. For me, you know, there's a lot of these really tall skyscrapers within Seattle and I've interviewed it a few and I've been absolutely terrified about how I was going to actually get to the office if I were to get that job because, you know, there, there was one in particular that I remember that you like used an actual touch screen to be able to put in exactly where you were going. And then it would summons the, uh, summons the elevator to come there, there were some security guards and some people that seemed to be around that lobby. So my guess is what I'd have to do is track one of them down or hope someone else will put it in for me. But that that is not an elevator where it's going to be easy for me to be able to get upstairs. And so when I have the option, instead of having to look awkward, I will just take the stairs, which... I mean, it's a benefit to my health when I was, when I'm, I remember one place I worked, I used to work in Smith Tower and my office was on the fourth floor. And then a lot of the times I also took the stairs in the condo that I was living in at the time. And the condo was on the sixth floor. So between the two of those, like, I, my butt looked really good in that time period because I was also doing Pilates down the street. So I was getting quite the workout just from that, but it's something that I I find a lot easier. Um, and even if I'm, even if I'm really high up in a building, sometimes I'll just take the stairs down. I I've tried before to take the stairs up. I remember I worked on the 11th floor of a building and decided one time, I'm going to take the stairs today. Never again. Never. I like walked in. Everyone wanted to know what had happened to me because I was pretty much wheezing. And I was just like, my shirt was stuck to me because I was sweating. I was like, I took the stairs. Like, why would you do that? And I was like, I was just trying to get more steps. I thought I was being healthy. Um, But yeah, definitely definitely not the case. Um, so yeah, the stairs is something that I think about. Another thing is when I start at a company, um, I, a lot of the time, you know, you'll have like a beverage fridge or something like that and stocked with snacks and stuff. It takes me a while to start eating the snacks or the drinks. And it's just because I don't know what they are. I don't partake in a lot of the perks that are in a kitchen, um, in an office setting until I've finally made friends with people who I feel comfortable, like fully asking for help and explaining like, Oh, Hey, where's the green tea? Where's the LaCroix? Like, where's this? And one of the offices, I remember that they had changed the microwaves from being the kind, the standard kind where you like press in the number to a kind that had like a knob and then you were supposed to hit something. And I had never operated a microwave like that before. And if I didn't have a friend <laughs> that was able to do lunch with me, I was honestly like a little screwed because Yes, I can't just ask anyone, but it's 
you still want to be independent. It's not a great feeling when you have a disability to have to ask for help. You really want to try to do as much as you can on your own. And a lot of that, it comes out of situations and circumstance where you have asked for help in the past or maybe you've leaned on someone and they've said initially they were okay with helping you, but then over time they've grown to resent you and you find out that they're saying things behind your back or they're just, they're not being super nice to you. I know I've had those situations. I'm sure other people have as well. And to avoid feeling as though you're a burden to anyone else, you will legitimately do everything you can to not be that way. Um, so usually when I work in an office, like I'd say probably for the first full month, since I won't necessarily know like all the places where I can go get lunch that are around me as well, I will bring in my lunch every single day and I will also make sure that it's something like a salad that I can eat cold, that I don't have to deal with the microwave or anything like that. Which again, like the byproduct of that is that I end up eating tons of greens and I'm, it's healthy for me, but you know, maybe I would like to reheat some pizza. That sounds delicious. I love pizza. Cam and I, when we went on our honeymoon, we went to Italy and we chose it because we went somewhere where we wanted to eat all the food. We wanted the pasta. We wanted the pizza. At the time, I was not pescatarian, so you you bet I ate my weight in prosciutto e melon. It was delicious, and that I hands down the meat that I miss the most from being pescatarian is is prosciutto. I really, really miss prosciutto, and I just can't even go into the fridge because. He hasn't done it in a while, but that was kind of the meat that Cam would just keep on hand to put in salads and to make snacks, make maybe his own like charcuterie board and stuff like that. So I just, I have to avoid it. I'm really afraid that if I see it, I'm, I'm just going to eat an entire package of it. Um, but those, uh, those are a lot of the things when it comes to work also like not just at work, but in social situations, like I have trained myself. I have an astonishing bladder. My bladder is so strong. And part of that is because if you can't see the restroom signs, it's really a motivating factor to be able to make it so you need to hold it. Um, And especially the first, again, like few weeks that you're at an office like that's when things can be really awkward usually what ends up happening when I first start working at office is within the first week or two I'll either try to come in really early or really late and I just snoop and by snoop I mean I go into the kitchen area I open up all the door all the drawers and and all the cabinets and I see how like the fridge is organized and where everything's located and I'll like bring my uh, magnifier in with me because it'll help me be able to to read like okay well this is where this tea is this is where this is and then I do the same thing 
when it comes to um, like bathrooms and just getting the layout. Like I will just walk through the office to figure out where things are. And I'll do that as well um, with conference rooms. Like I'll go throughout the office figuring out, okay, this is this is where this conference room is located. This is where this one is. Uh, because everyone has that situation where they started a new office and they don't, they have a they have a conference to go to. They're going to a meeting, and uh, they don't know exactly where the conference room is located. I mean, think of that anxiety and that that can give you, and then times it by like a hundred because you can't actually easily see the signs um, to see where it's at. So, you know, there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of extra footwork that I, I do to make sure that I understand like my surroundings. And, you know, I worked in one office environment where, you know, I'd be following up with people and the way I would follow up with people to get stuff done was by emailing them or, or calling them. And I had a manager that would push back on me and be like, no, just go over to their desk. Just like go over, like you'll, you'll see where they're at. And I just, I really want to impress upon people that if you are talking to someone with a visual impairment and you say something like, look at this, or you can see clearly, no, no, I can't. Like I'm visually impaired. I can't just walk over and quote unquote, see the person or see their nameplate. That's harder for me. And a lot of offices, I know that my, I know that Cam's office, like they'd move around quite a bit. His former office that he was at, they'd move where they were sitting quite a bit as teams expanded and changed. And the same thing happened to me in the agencies that I'd work at. You know, they were constantly changing where your desk was at. And it, I understand why you do that so you can maximize the space, but as someone visually impaired that like is creating mental maps as to where everyone is located, that's a lot of work on me each time that that happens. So when it comes to, to work, that's, that's a lot that happened there. When it came to school, um, I also did something very similar where every time I got, um, and this is college specifically, every time I got my new schedule, I'd make sure that I was back on campus at least a couple days early so that I could uh, create a path for myself, figure out my route. And it wasn't just a matter of like, okay, I have to go from this building to this building. It was me figuring out, okay, I need to get from this building to this building. However, the most direct route involves a set of stairs where there's no railing and no markings. So I need to go the slightly longer way where there's more ramps and, oh no, like my third class is in there at WSU, there is this, this classroom that, um, I believe chemistry was taught in there. I know geology was taught in there. I took geology there and a couple other classes, but it was called the pit and it was called the pit because it's, it's one of those lecture halls where it's almost like amphitheater style sort of where the the professor's down on the floor level and then it has um, 
multiple levels of, of chairs and, and desks and stuff that go up at a very steep angle with stairs. And these stairs had no railings to them at all. It was, I was just talking tonight to my friend Delaney, who also went to WSU. And I said the pit and even she was like, oh, the pit was terrifying. And Delaney has, Delaney cited, like she, she doesn't have any issues with that. And even for people who didn't have visual problems, it was very intimidating. And there was a fear that you would trip and just tumble all the way down. So with classrooms that were set up like that, I had to find the alternate alternate route where I was taking outside staircases that did have railings, and then I would have to come in at the floor level, usually where the professor walked in. So it really is a motivating factor to make sure that you're not late. But the downside of it is, is if there is a day where I'm running late, I just wasn't going to be in that class because I couldn't just walk in during the middle of the lecture and stand next to the professor. And on top of that, there's not a guarantee that there would even be a spot for me right in the front to sit in. Uh, So making sure that I was getting to places on time was really important. And every time I figured out my route, it was also a matter of going into the classrooms and and assessing, you know, the the pit was an extreme example, but there would be some some lecture halls that they'd have like a couple steps down in spots, and then maybe on the other side it was all ramped. So understanding which side would be ramped as opposed to which side would have the stairs, and um, you know where there were tables or things I could trip on or bump into. It was, it was very involved. I, I would put probably a solid hour and a half into figuring out exactly how I was going to get from building to building and class to class each day prior to ever going to class. Um, so that's, that's an example of me putting in extra energy to, to be able to get through things easier and to, to assimilate just to, to be able to blend in like everyone else. And other things is, you know, as I mentioned, if you say, look at this, see this, like if you're showing me your jewelry, if you are showing me a picture on your phone that you think is really cute that you want me to look at, if you're showing me a meme on your phone or a text message and it's not blown up, I can't see it. Yeah, no newsflash. I can't see it. Um, also, just this is just like a PSA for everyone who has a visual impairment. If you if you are texting someone who has a visual impairment, don't use emojis. It's not helpful. It doesn't help me understand what you're trying to say. Um, the only time that I can use emojis is if I am texting from my computer because then I'm able to blow it up and like do a type search of, you know, like, I don't even heart. I don't, I don't even know what exactly I, I use hearts a lot, I guess. And that's for the most part what I use. And I really like the tap back 
options that you have with text messages now. And also you can do it on Facebook messages where you're allowed to like have a reaction to a specific message. And it's also a really great way to acknowledge someone's message when you, it doesn't seem to warrant a full response. You know, it's just doing the tap back, I think is better than just saying, okay, or that's great. Um, you know, it lets them know, I see this, I've reacted to this at the same time. I don't really have anything to say to this. So I, I enjoy that a lot. Um, especially because with the tap backs, when you click it, they, they're in the same order every single time. So I know that like the third icon, even if I can't see it that well, the third icon is a thumbs down and I can click that if I'm, I'm feeling that way about it. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, and I'm guilty too, just again, the whole assimilating thing that, you know, if one of my friends has gotten engaged, I'll be like, Oh, show me that ring. I, I can't, I can't see it. If you're just showing it to me on your hand, I can't see it. If I'm, if you slide it off and you allow me to like really get it close to my face and, um, and like really feel it and everything, then yeah, like I, I have a good idea of what it's like, but just if you're flashing it at me, no, like I, I don't know what it's like. When it comes to like walking around outside, some things that I've done in the past is that um, if I was walking on my own, and this was a lot of this was before I had a cane to point out, but when I was walking on my own and I would get to an intersection and it said, you know, it was, let's say it's, it's simple. It's a four-way stop. The ones that are not up front, maybe it's a five-way stop, like, God help me. Now, I just, I would honestly just avoid those. I would create a entirely different route where I can avoid any crazy intersections like that because it's going to be really difficult for me to figure out when I can or can't cross. Because I, if it's, if it's darker out, then there's enough contrast that I can see the cross signal. Um, and a lot of really busy intersections now, they do have, um, they do have like the, the fancier cross signals where they'll say, um, now crossing, uh, Mercer and you, you, and it's good because like, you know, exactly which street you're able to cross at that time. Cause it's calling out like that, or it has like the chirping birds or whatever. And I mean, I've told this to multiple people, but one of my biggest pet peeves are the cross signals that when it's safe to walk, it sounds like a machine gun is going off. I'm sorry. What, what is that? What, who decided that the signal to let visually impaired blind people know that it's safe to move is the sound of a machine gun going off. That baffles me. I, it bothers me to this day. Every time I'm near one of them, just food for thought, city planners, please take this into mind. If you have an option, please do the ones that speak whatever road you're, is 
available to cross at that time. And also please put in the ones that, um, it's really helpful if you, you put in the ones that have the, the buttons that will vibrate too, because if someone is deaf and blind, then they can hold onto it. And when it starts vibrating, they know that it's then safe to cross. But before when I didn't know when I was coming to a four-way stop and maybe it said it was safe to cross, but I hadn't known how long the signal had been up and I didn't want to risk being in the middle of the street when the signal changed, I would do this thing where I like get to the corner and I like kind of assess and then I would like pull out my phone and pretend like I got a phone call or a text message that I needed to look at. And then I would sit there looking at my phone that I can't even see that well, waiting for the next cycle. Because if I cross at the very beginning of the cycle, I know I have enough time to get across the street without risking getting hit accidentally. And another thing that I used to do with my phone is that when I would be walking down the street, if if I was having kind of a hard time um, maneuvering the street, like maybe it was a really bright day out and I'm, um, I've mentioned before, very light sensitive. I would, I would call someone because if I was on the phone, it, it seems to make more sense to people that I would possibly be walking slower than if I wasn't. I always thought it looked a little bit weirder. Like if you're on the phone, it makes sense that like maybe you're moving a little slower. Maybe you're meandering a little bit. Maybe you're suddenly stopping because someone said something and um, you wanted to like take in what they were saying. I, I would use it and like call people. And I mean, a lot of my friends could probably attest to the fact that the most often that they'd hear from me is when I was having to do a long walk somewhere. Um, I used to call my friend Melissa a lot when I was walking from, um, my office. Like I would take like a four, it was like a four block walk down to where the, the bus stop. I actually, it might've been longer than four blocks. I think it was, it was about a 10 minute walk, um, for me to get to the bus stop that would be able to drop me off. Uh, close to my apartment. And so I would just call her and then also like wait for the bus. And I will say good on whoever made the call that with buses, when the door opens, it says what route number it is. That's just, just compliments to the chef. Thank you. That, that makes my life so much easier. Um, and to anyone who knows anyone who is a bus driver, um, I get that it might be annoying, but like, please don't turn off the, the cues as to which stop is coming up next when you're on the bus. I get that you have to listen to it all day, but I rely on that to be able to know when I need to be getting off the bus. And sometimes it'll turn them down so low that you can't even hear it. And, and that's really saying something because I rely on my hearing so much more because I do have low vision that like... I have pretty good hearing. So if I'm not able to hear it, definitely no one else is, but it doesn't necessarily matter to everyone else because if they can't hear what stop is coming up, they can read the sign that flashes, flashes up there that says that the the next stop coming up is, you know, second Seneca or whatever it is. 
So those are a few things that I would do just like getting around. Um, in when I would go to restaurants, um, again, it would be a situation where I would make sure I'd go to the bathroom right before I left. And, and there are times where like I have to, I'll have to use the restroom when I'm at a restaurant. And like, if I have one of my girlfriends with me or something, that's not a big deal. We just go together. But I always feel kind of bad for Cam when I'm with him, if we're somewhere and I don't know where the restroom is, because then he like has to escort me and then he stays by the door so that he can help me get back to the table. And it really gives off this vibe. Like I'm in this super controlling relationship where I can't do anything on my own, but it's not the case. It's far from it. He's just being really helpful. There's this, there is this scene in, I can't even remember what the name of this movie was, but it has Blake Lively in it. And she plays someone who has a really severe visual impairment. Um, she, the premise was she had gotten in a car accident when she was a teenager. And I, I think it had like compressed her optic nerve or something. And so she had lost a lot of her sight. And in the movie, she's actually able to undergo a procedure where she, she gets her vision back. Um, and her, I don't necessarily want to like get into all the ins and outs of the movie, but the point of bringing this up is that in one of the earlier scenes of the movie, there's a scene where her and her husband go out to this bar and she like goes into the restroom and you know, he takes her to where the restroom is and then he kind of walks away for a minute to, to do something else. And then when she comes out, she doesn't know where he is and she can't see clearly and she's trying to figure it out and she feels very disoriented and very anxious. And it's one of the most realistic depictions of what I feel like I go through when I'm in that situation of being at a bar or a restaurant and I've come, I've come out of a, I've come out of the restroom. Um, and I, I don't know where my friends or my, my party is because it can be really hard to relocate them, especially if it's a, a crowded place. Um, but yeah, so like I, I do what I can to minimize those trips. Um, also something that I do, which a lot of people do this who aren't visually impaired just so that they have enough time to think about their options. But instead of making a decision at the restaurant, I always try to look up the menu before I go and make a decision of what I'm going to order. The only hiccup to this is sometimes people won't update their online menus and so I'll try to order something that isn't listed on the menu anymore. So I, I try to find a couple options of things that sound good. And I try to stick to that. And the only time I'll usually change my mind is if there is a special being offered that sounds especially good. And I will, I'll change my order on the spot when that's shared with me. Um, but, you know, my, my mom does it. I know a lot of people that do that. Um, but for me, it, it's not a nice to do. It's, it's necessary. Otherwise I'm in a situation where the entire menu is having to be read off to me. And that's just, that's annoying for a lot of people. And 
But I will say that being visually impaired, not being able to see a menu, it makes me very good at kind of being decisive and figuring out like what I want to eat. Um, so I will be like, uh, you know, I'm thinking, let me, what are the salad options and what are the pasta options? Like I'll narrow it down to that field and then they'll let me know like what's available in those. And then when something sounds good, I'm like, okay, that's what I want. And I stop there. I don't feel the need to maximize my choice. If I want to maximize, then that's a situation where I need to make sure I'm going online and reviewing the menu ahead of time. Um, but one thing that I will do that I noticed that if I'm with people, for example, if I'm at, uh, going out with a, a group of new coworkers that don't know me that well, or, um, if I'm at a, a networking event or something where it's a situation where a lot of people don't know me yet, maybe they don't know how visually impaired I am. I have this tendency to like open up the menu and like pretend I'm looking at it, even though I know what I'm ordering because I already looked it up or maybe I don't even peruse it, but I do this thing with the waiter because it's hard for me to make eye contact with the waiter where I'll look down at the menu and like pretend like I'm reading off what my decision is, even though I, I can't read the menu. I can't see it. It, it, it makes no sense for me at all. It's just, again, a way that I fake it, a way to seem quote unquote normal by society standards. And then I, I've done that too with when the bill comes, like I'll, I'll stare at the bill and like wait for people to be a little preoccupied with their own stuff. And then I'll try to like take out a magnifier or use my phone, like a magnifier on my phone to be able to like find the line and sign it and then read what the total was and assign the tip and, and all of it. It's, you know, again, it just goes into spoon theory. You hear this and you're probably thinking, wow, it seems like a lot of trouble to go through. And quite frankly, yes, it is. Um, but when you're really afraid that this identity that you have of being someone with a disability is, is going to be something that people judge you on, you're willing to put in that work to show that, you know, you're, you're, you're someone that's fun to be around. Like, it's not a hassle. It's cool. Like, I'm just like you. And it's taken me so long to finally just get to the point where I'm comfortable being like, no, I just, I can't see well. I can't like my, my vision is to that point where I'm just comfortable saying I have, I have a really significant visual impairment or I have, I have bad vision or, I mean, when I, Cam talked about on the podcast I had him on how I went up to the wrong person. I had told Cam specifically to make sure he waited outside because I knew I wasn't going to be able to find him inside of the the bar that we met up for our first date. And and that's like another thing that a lot of times with friends like I'll have to ask them to like wait for me outside or I'll wait outside or something like that so that I can find them easily or have someone come meet me. And I had asked Cam to wait outside and I walked up and there was another guy who was like on his phone. 
And then there was another guy that was like in another spot. And I was like, shoot, it's a 50, 50 chance. I don't know which one it is. And I kind of like walked up to the guy that was on the phone and just kind of stood there. Cause I figured he'd probably acknowledge me if it was him, but then he didn't. And I was like, Oh, I don't think it's him. And then at that point, Cam had seen me and was like, Oh, Avery, I'm over here. And then I went over there and I was like, Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah. I have, um, I just have really bad eyesight. Yeah. And it's just, I, I downplayed it. I really downplayed the fact that it's like, it's not, it's not that I have like bad eyesight. Like it's, it's much more significant than that. It's nothing that glasses or contacts are going to help. And I, I can do an entire spiel on it, but it's one thing that I think part of the reason that I try, I've tried in the past to blend in so much is because, you know, I'm, I'm fine having candid conversations with people, but at the same time, it does get really exhausting that every single time that you meet someone new, you have to launch into, yeah, like I have a visual impairment. This is what it is. And more often than not, and it's really as a society, like, we need to get better about this. But if someone says something about them having a chronic illness or a disability or anything like that, usually the first line of questioning is, well, what is it? And then, well, can you fix it? And I understand the interest behind it, but you kind of have to also understand the, the subtext that's being said there because there are a lot of people out there that are very, very comfortable with their disabilities and they don't consider anything that needs to be fixed. And by having that mindset of like, Oh, well, have you done treatments? Have you done this? Can you wear glasses? Can, I mean, really like if I could wear glasses, don't you think I would be wearing them? That's it's kind of a dumb question. (laughs) I know that there's no such thing as stupid questions, but if someone's really having a hard time living independently and getting around and doing stuff, if it meant that they could do those things by putting on a pair of glasses, they definitely would. And, you know, it, it, it re, it reaffirms the idea that There's something wrong with you if you have to be fixed. So, you know, for anyone who's listening that doesn't have a disability, that's something like very important to make sure that you're aware of, that you're not trying to just figure out how to fix someone. I think it's very fair to ask questions about what their experience is and, but just make sure your first line of questioning isn't like, what have you done to be normal again? That feels terrible because- I know that I'm a little different, but different doesn't mean bad. And I would argue that there are plenty of able-bodied people out there. They're a lot less quote unquote normal than I am. (laughs) Like I'm, I'm, I'm pretty relatable, I guess you could say. And that's part of the reason that I wanted to do the podcast is to put out this voice that's relatable. Um, 
to wrap up like other things that I've done to assimilate, um, if I go to sporting events, like, I mean, I go for the social purpose of being with people. I can't tell what's going on. I take cues from the crowd and my, my go-to thing that I like to yell is what? Because it could mean so many things. I can be like, like if I'm like, what? Like that, it's like, it could be something bad happened. And I'm like, why is that happening? What? What's going on here? And then also it's like something really good happens. And it's like, what? Yeah. So it's like my, my catch-all where I can say whatever. Um, and then, you know, I will pick up on what the crowd around me is doing and then reinforce that if I want to be into it. And I'll be honest, like if I'm doing this, like it's a good chance I'm not sober. Like I've had a couple drinks to like be enjoying myself in that way. Um, and a lot of the times I'll have to ask friends like, oh, well, what's the score? When I was a freshman in college, I was at a football game and I was asking my my friends that I went with, um, I was asking them like, oh, what's the score? And I was asking them pretty regularly. I'd say probably, probably every 15 to 20 minutes, probably 20, every 20 minutes. And they had also met up with um, some, some people that they knew from high school and they had brought some, some people that they met in their dorm. So it was this whole group. So some, some people didn't know me that were in this group. And I finally, I'd asked one of my friends again, what the score was. And one of the guys finally just looks at me and goes, why do you keep asking what the score is? What are you blind? I just turned and looked at him. I go, yeah, I am actually. The color drained from his face. Like it's, it was a really priceless moment. And I, I, we're fine. Like he and I were fine. We actually ended up going on a couple dates throughout college. Like we were on really good terms. Um, but he always told me that, he never forgot that moment. And he always told like anyone who would listen, fraternity brothers, people in, in classrooms, just he was like, never, never make assumptions. Never do that. He goes, because you can make a real ass out of yourself if you do. And he would always tell that story and people would just cringe. And you know, I I think the story is really funny looking back on it. And in the moment I thought it was pretty funny too. But you know, sometimes it does take that level of a teaching moment to be able to really get through to people. You know, the little things don't always leave the same impression as a moment where you really think you lost face. So, so yeah, those, those are, those are my situations for the most part where I'm really faking it. The only other thing that I can really think of is faking is if I go shopping with you, like, it's like, you better be finding things for me. It's really not that fun unless it's like, I'm shopping, we're going wine tasting. (laughs) That's fun. I can definitely partake in that. Or if I'm like, I don't know. I don't necessarily go to like gourmet cheese shops very often at all, but like going cheese tasting, that sounds amazing too. Clearly I need to go on a trip to France since I want wine and cheese so badly, but you know, hopefully in the near future. But yeah, as I had said with 
at the top of the podcast as well in the podcast talking about spoon theory, there, there's a lot of things that come into play. There's a lot of extra work and there's, there's a lot that people with disabilities will do to assimilate and to, to do things according to the societal norms to, to fit in better and to be accepted more by the people around them. So hopefully this sheds some light on that. Um, for, as always, I want to thank people for listening to the podcast again, reminding you if you haven't already to please subscribe to it in whatever podcast you listen to that way it automatically drops into your feed. You don't have to find it every single week. Um, as well as if you haven't to go ahead and leave a five-star review in Apple podcast, it's a really great way to help the podcast get discovered by other people. You know, and if you know a coworker, a friend, a family member, even if it's someone you don't like and you think that they would find the podcast interesting and helpful and maybe a little entertaining too, go ahead and let them know because, you know, the podcast is new enough that the amount of impact that the listeners have in spreading the word and growing it is pretty immense. And if you haven't already, feel free to follow the podcast on Facebook at Basically Blind and on Instagram at basically blind pod. So until next time, I'll see you then. Bye.